Hello everyone, this is a special show, podcast in memory of a great man, a great teacher and an inspiration to so many people, Matt Williams. Matt very sadly passed away uh, about two weeks ago and we wanted at Teachers Talk Radio to republish one of his old shows. Um, this one is from the 20th of February, 2021. It was recorded right in the middle of lockdown. And it was recorded uh, with Teachers Talk Radio little more than a, a month old as a, as a station. Um, in fact, I think Matt may have been one of the first people I approached to host on Teachers Talk Radio. I talked with him in Prestetton High School from uh, 2008 until 2013. Um, He was an inspirational teacher. He was incredibly popular with students and staff. Um, He built phenomenal relationships with uh, the students who, and you can see that from the way people have reacted to his passing on Facebook and so on, the messages from from former students. It's just a testament to the impact that he had. Um, myself and Matt completed a leadership qualification together where we had to, to travel to Cardiff. And um, I remember us going to Cardiff. I remember us going to, to Birmingham, um, all over the place for these um, sort of leadership training events. And we had a great laugh. I mean, Matt's sense of humour... Um, anyone who's met Matt, he could just make you laugh in at anything at any point, whether you were his mate or not. It didn't matter. He he was he had a natural gift for for comedy and for um, just 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 being incredibly entertaining at all times. Um, I mean, he was a drama teacher, so I think that sort of was reflected in that as well. Um, and, you know, for me personally, like the reflection for me on the whole thing is that the question I was asked is why do bad things happen to good people? Because, but they do. And um, cancer is just one of those things. It's just, there's no sort of choosing. It can hit anyone. And this is a terrible example of that in that this was someone who was a, such a larger than life person who... Had, uh, was still going to give so, so much. And I know with Teachers Talk Radio, Matt wanted to carry on. He wanted to carry on through his treatment. He um, was able to return for a special show uh, Christmas last year, which turned out to be his last show. But he just, I mean, in every show, and you can still listen to them on the Teachers Talk Radio website, but every time he was on air, um, he was just just amazing. So... Um, I just thought I'd introduce the podcast today with with that and I'll let you enjoy hearing from Matt and hearing him interview the guests and hopefully this this podcast can sit on the Teachers Talk Radio archive as a permanent memorial to Matt and what he was like as as a Teachers Talk Radio host but also just how passionate he was about teaching and education um, and and everyone else really who came into contact with him and how giving he was of his his time and his his wisdom and his humor and and everything else. So rest in peace, Matt, and thanks for listening, everyone.
10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from the North Wales coast, this is the Saturday Breakfast Show with Matt Williams on Teachers Talk Radio. Good morning to you all from Penryn side. We have a reflective yet fun-filled show for you this Saturday. We will discuss students' aspirations with our guests and we will all share in ideas of how an ideal learning environment would work, what our dream school would look like. So let's be creative, folks. It's Saturday, it's Teachers Talk Radio, and we are live. This is the Saturday Breakfast Show with Matt Williams on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash LSW slash TT Radio. Well, a very big warm welcome to fellow educators, friends, family from across the globe. And I'm really looking forward to hearing from so many listeners about the topics we are going to be discussing today. So please text in if you're tuning in on a desktop or on the Podbean app. You can text in your message in the box and I will try to um, read all of those messages out. And of course, if you're on the Podbean app and you want to call in, you can call um, by pressing the, the green sofa button and call us, join in with the debate. And we've got two live guests today. One is an assistant head, um, and our second guest is about to start her teaching journey. And I want to hear from you what hopes and fears you have in this strange new world that we live in at the moment. And so what would your advice be to someone who is right at the beginning of their teaching career? How can we raise students' aspirations? That's something that we're really going to be talking about um, this morning. And what does your ideal learning environment look like? So if you could start a school, build a school um, with a blank canvas, what would that school um, look like? And I'll tell you why I'm considering some of these topics today. Because I don't know about you, but I'm increasingly concerned by the lack of aspirations young people have at the moment. Not just down to COVID and all of the problems that we've been having over the last year pre-COVID. And I'm going to be talking in a lot more detail later on about some of the solutions I may have about that. I'd love to hear your solutions as well. How can we make students young people more aspirational in society to want the very very best um, from their lives and maybe the learning environment can contribute to people's attitudes towards learning what do you think i've been looking at three examples of what i would call dynamic learning environments this week and i want to share them with you um, and just canvas your views really on these three schools and if anybody's got any ideas you know, do um, tell me along the way and I'll refer to uh, the chat. And if you want to call in, please call in. We've got two guests lined up and that no doubt with um, their ability to talk and my ability to, to waffle, um, this is going to be a very tightly packed show today. Um, but please, why not? We can extend the show. We've got all day, have we not? Before we 
and face the online chalk face on Monday. Good morning to Khalil. Thank you for sharing the show, Khalil. And I'll tell you more about this, but Khalil will have his uh, debut show tonight, The Late Show. So good luck with that, Khalil. Uh, morning, uh, Rogers History. Good morning, Tom. Great to hear from you this morning, bright and early. Well, good morning to everybody. So um, I'm going to go over the first of my examples of these schools with what I would call a dynamic learning environment, that they do things differently in order to raise aspirations. Very good morning to another of our presenters, Mal, who, you know, Monday could be bleak for some of you if you're driving into work or you're working from home. Um, but don't be bleak because Mal will be there to um, talk you through the morning from 7 to 8.30 on Monday morning. The Green School in Bali. Now, its mission is to create a global community of learners uh, making our world, the world that we live in, um, more sustainable. And they started off in Bali, but they've now expanded to a few countries, to New Zealand, to South Africa and to Tulum in Mexico. And the idea was conceived by a husband and wife couple, uh, John and Cynthia Hardy, who you may have heard of. Um, in 2006, and they were globalists anyway. They were ecologically aware and trying to promote um, a greener world, but they were further inspired by Al Gore's An Inconvenient Truth. Um, and this school that they've conceived is a school without walls. It's a school within natural environments. And a couple of people have had a few things to say about the Green School in Bali. Dr. Jane Goodall, for example, um, when students graduate from here, they will be leaders of the right sort. They are learning the core values of success in life. Wow, what a seal of approval from Dr. Jane Goodall. What a legend she is, so that's quite something. And then Tim Lott, the author, wrote this in The Guardian. I am inspired by Green School. In a way, I am rarely inspired by any institutions. All they want is to create whole human beings. There is a different way for our children. And I hope that's what we all think, that there is a different way. Um, I'll talk again more about this later, but, you know, isn't it time that we'd, we did think about resetting education? And in this school, the Green School in Bali, they say that they are lighting a fire rather than filling a bucket. They believe that children learn by doing. Um, they educate for sustainability. Um, they have community integration. And yes, they still have entrepreneurship. And there is still quite a, you know, a rigorous, a rigorous form of knowledge as well in the curriculum. Um, but much of it is guided by the students themselves. And there's a remarkable emphasis on things like co-curriculum, um, lots of extracurricular activities and community service. So that's my first school that I want to profile, the Green School in Bali. Text in your thoughts about that sort of school. Will that work? Could that work in this country? Obviously, we have very different weather from Bali, which is part of Indonesia. Uh, the second school I want to focus on 
is one that some of you may have heard of again. It's called the Big Picture Learning School, the BPL. This was founded in 1995 and it now has 50, uh, 65 schools in the United States. Um, but along with others now in Australia, the Netherlands, Italy and Canada. And again, this is designed to put students at the center of their own learning. And I really like this concept because each student is in a learning community of no more than 15 students. And this is called an advisory. And fundamentally, each advisory is then led by and supported by an advisor who is the teacher. And then from there, personalized relationships are built. And each student does an internship and they work closely with a mentor in real life, in real life work experience. Um, and of course we do work experience generally, don't we, in this country, usually in year 10, sometimes in year 12. Um, and, but we only do it for a week. Sometimes it's a little bit tokenistic. Um, and I'm just wondering whether that they're onto something there, really. They really encourage parents and families to play an active role, be as active as possible. Um, other people are sharing the show. Thank you so much. Tom finds this interesting. Wow, to interest Tom on a Saturday morning, this must be quite something. Thank you, Tom. And Aaron shared the show live. Um, and what I find most fascinating about some of these schools is the assessments. So people think that the best schools around the world fundamentally have the best assessment practices. That's what some people may think. I don't know. Um, but students are not solely assessed through standardised testing. Um, but there's even more emphasis on things like exhibitions of achievements on their motivations, they're marked on their motivations, and they are marked on the habits, according to their websites, of minds, hands, and hearts. So let me know what you think about that school. So we've had the Green School in Bali, we've got the big picture learning schools around the world. And then the third school, um, Ah, right, I'm just going to refer to what Mal has said in the chat. We have standardised testing, yet children aren't standardised. <laughs> I find there's a lot of things that are so archaic in our education system, and that's one prime example, really. And there's so much diversity across the country. Um, I don't think many people who are decision makers really appreciate the levels of poverty that we have again in this country. And yet our education system is not necessarily fit for use. Good morning to Gav, who's just entered the studio um, and to Jenny as well. And Gav, of course, was a guest in our inaugural week. The third example, I'm just going for our new listeners, I'm just going through three examples of schools that just do it differently around the world. The third school, and I apologise to my Danish speaking friends here, um, is the Urestad Gymnasium in Denmark. This is 
I don't know if you've heard of the gymnasium school. I've done a bit more reading about this. And this is part, you may have heard of the Ashoka Changemaker Schools. This is part of that particular group. And the idea here is to create change makers, as it would suggest on the tin, um, and act on problems and solve problems. Again, like all of these schools, like we all do, I'm sure, try to make the world a better place for you and for me, the entire human race. I just, sorry if I giggle to myself and I'm not funny, but um, I do, uh, I can't help but make these links. Um, so there you go, Michael Jackson quoted in this particular segment. And so they act on and solve problems. Um, and they try to do this through social commitment, through drive, through collaboration, and through innovation. And I just think innovation is such an important word when we consider education, when we're looking forward to the future. And they have lots of committees and subcommittees and projects, including the mentor committee, entirely run by students. And this is for student mentors, students who mentor other students who mentor other students. And they have things like the green projects, um, obviously newer, greener visions for the school with green policy right at its core. And um, also things like, you know, real open mindedness. So the LGBTQ plus committee as well, that's run by students, promoting diversity and to make sure that there's a space for everyone. Um, and of course, it's LGBT History Month in the UK right now. So that's topical to discuss. And again, this is a school where the classrooms have no walls, or if they do have walls, obviously Denmark is a colder country uh, than over in Indonesia, and the walls are made of glass. So there's a real feeling of community in this particular school. This is the Orestad Gymnasium in Denmark. And they also have their own TV station uh, with live streams every day. And they have the morning bulletin, not read at, out by our very own Tom Hopkins Burke, but his Danish equivalent. Um, and in this school, which is a school that I like the, the sound of really, you have the freedom to combine your specific field of study, something that you're really, really passionate about, and you can change along the way with electives, with options. And I just find this school again so so fascinating is that you know i know this is a bit of a cheesy word or phrase to use but the blue sky thinking i think some of these founders of these schools really have thoughts about innovation and for what tomorrow looks like chris chris is a regular listener thanks for joining us again chris he has said think of what the current education system has achieved the internet, spaceflight, and exploration, modern technology. To say we should change everything might remove the very things that we that are working so well. Often we hear of 21st century skills, but people forget it is the current educational system is what built the 21st century. I'm not saying what these schools are doing isn't really exciting, but I don't think they could be used as a large-scale model. And actually, Chris, I was thinking about this yesterday when I was finalising some prep for this show. And then I thought, I felt really inspired by reading some of these examples. 
And later on, I may refer to my own dream school. But then I was thinking, I, I can't take away that I still want core subjects. I still want that rigorous academic knowledge because I really believe in academia at its core. And some of my ideas may seem to appear to just dilute some of the, those core beliefs. And I don't mean to do that. I think, I think you're right. Combining all of these things, if we can make it possible, is, would be the right thing to do. Um, so I think you're onto something there, Chris. Um, Took, who is a bilinguist herself, has said that more bilingual trilingual schools are necessary. Well, this is interesting. It may be a topic for another week or maybe a topic for this week. But of course, there really is a feeling um, that modern foreign languages, well, it's a fact, um, are decreasing in terms of school programmes in the UK. Uh, so that's a really interesting point that Tuck is making. Uh, there are more bilinguals than monolinguals in the world. Yes, we were talking about that the other day. Teachers should be trained in training programs on how to teach in a bilingual environment. Now, there is so much food for thought in what Tuck has got to say. So please text in, let us know. Uh, we've got lots of listeners, a few dozen listeners in at the moment, which is great. Share the show which is brilliant. Sean has just entered the live studio. Emily is here and Emily has her debut show on Monday. So the very, very best of luck to you. Um, so, yeah, all of those things to consider. My goodness, we've got so many things, haven't we? So I'll just ask you a few quick questions before I invite Simon um, onto the show. So a few questions are raised, aren't they? And again, relating to Chris here, is this is this question still pertinent to him? Do schools, as we know them, kill? Gosh, I better finish that sentence. <laughs> Not do they kill, but do schools, as we know them, kill creativity? Um, of course, there's that very famous TEDx talk by Sir Ken Robinson. Was it in 2006? Um, and he said that, as far as he was concerned, especially as you go progressively through the education system, schools kill creativity. And are the schools that I've given you in the examples, the answer, well, Chris is saying they're part of the answer, but not fully the answer. Let us know. This is a rhetorical question because I think I know the answer, but I'd love it if somebody came on for a good old argument, a good old chinwag, maybe opposed my viewpoints, but have we become exam factories? Are we exam factories? Have we always been exam factories? And education is described as the key to success. But how do we truly unlock that potential? Because that's what I'm... Oh, I... oh my goodness. There we go. Tom, I'm too concentrated on my sermon because I know that I have a good congregation in front of me. I've got a feeling that we're not going to have, to, oh, I better not say this actually. I was going to say technological problems. Um, but yeah, for any of you who are joining us for the first time, I do like my sound effects. There you go. Now, now that I've started, I won't be able to stop. Um, Ella has texted in. Exam boards have killed creativity, something that if I get time, I will refer to later. I could quite agree with you, exam boards. 
very early in the morning for Ella. She's just corrected herself there in the second message. <laughs> um, ah, it's like a delay effect with my sound effect today. <laughs> Wonderful. Right. I think it's time we got our first guest on because I've spoken nonstop for over 20 minutes now. Um, and it's time we heard from somebody else. So we are inviting our first guest into the show, um, an assistant head of the St. Mary's Church of England Primary School in Runcorn. And I've got to, just to satisfy um, Tom's gratifications here, let's have, let's have a round of applause for our first guest. So our first guest, ladies and gentlemen, is Simon Owen. Good morning, Simon. Morning, Matt. How are we? Oh, I am well. How are you? How's your half term been, first of all? Uh, oh, very, very calm and relaxed, to be honest. Yeah, n nothing too exciting going on. Uh, on a bit further down the Welsh, North Wales coastline than you. Yes, I didn't realise this when we spoke the other day. Um, just to arrange you appearing on this show, we're very grateful to you for joining us. I didn't realise that you were so close nowadays. So that is good. So when COVID is over, when we can all meet up, um, in fact, in Wales, I think from today, I think four people can meet outside. I may be wrong about that. I could. No, that's right. Yeah, you, you, you're spot on there. He, he made his big announcement yesterday, didn't he? Yeah, but probably in close proximity to each other. So maybe yeah, I can I think only. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, it looks as though we are slowly. Um, you know, just easing some restrictions. Um, Simon, I'm just going to refer to, have you been listening to the show so far, Simon? Yes, yeah, I've been listening. Great, okay, so we've got some good debates going on already. Tracy has texted in to say there should be greater focus on language skills and triple literacy at key stage one and key stage two when children are more receptive to different learning languages. Now that actually might contradict some of what I'm going to say later. But I don't entirely disagree, depending on what we want from our education system and what we want for our leaders of tomorrow, Tracy. Um, but our educationalist of the week would probably fundamentally disagree with some of those things. But when I look at education models across the world, they do focus a lot on literacy at key stage one. Tracy goes on, the curriculum could be thinned out to support this as content taught in Key Stage 2 is often repeated at Key Stage 3. Anyway, thank you for those views, Tracy. Um, right, Simon, it's so good to have you on. Um, and this is a question that I'm going to ask so many people um, over the coming months and who knows years. Um, I'm just in interested by who inspired or what inspired your entry into the teaching profession. For, so for you, what or who inspired you to become a teacher? Um, so I was um, probably about, I think, 13 or 14. Uh, my mum was a primary teacher. Uh, she's retired now. Um, and I, uh, from growing up from, you know, as long as I can remember, I always wanted to be a pilot. Um, and then I can't remember why. For, for some reason, I was in, I went in and did a couple of days working in my mum's, uh, or just went in with mum. Uh, into school and that was it really from 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 just doing those two or three days um i thought no this, this is for me I, I i want to do this a pilot i think so many people want to be pilots <laughs> with them and yeah. um, so many people i know who are pilots um are out of jobs of course at the moment as well 
kind of lost. Yes, everything. well, I've got my, my brother-in-law's a pilot as well um, at the moment, you know, and he's he's not out of a job at all. He's you know on furlough, but uh, yeah. So so we we did get a pilot in the family eventually when my sister. <laughs> Brilliant, right? Listen, tell us a little bit about um, your school, the St Mary's Church of England School in primary school in Runcorn, and what your role is there. Okay, so I'm the assistant head. I've been working at the school uh, my entire career. I, I, I went there on my final placement and they've not managed to get rid of me yet. Um, so 16 years um, I've been there and I've taught from nursery uh, across Key Stage 1, across Key Stage 2, and I've been in Year 6 for ooh, five years now and I've been the assistant head there since... Uh, for four years, 2017, when I was made assistant head. Uh, I'm assessment lead uh, and computing lead, which obviously in the current climate has, has been a, a battle oh, yes. with the move to online learning. Yeah, so have you had basically responsibility for the online learning programme then? Um. Not so much the program, but the, sort of the technical side of it. Yes, we've right. I see. <clears throat> yeah. So we we went down the uh, Microsoft Teams route, and we had it set up um, pretty early, I think, compared to some other schools. You know, other schools that I I know people who work in. Um, we started when we went back in September. Obviously, you know, for the full opening of schools again. Um, in preparation for any bubbles closing, so in that in that autumn term, last autumn, uh, we did actually have three uh, different bubbles that that cl- or three three different points where we had to close bubbles. Um, so year groups had to switch to to online learning. So um, they were sort of the guinea pigs, really, in preparation for this. Obviously, we didn't we we, did, we were knowing whether there was going to be a second full lockdown. Um, yeah. So yeah, that that was all about ironing out, um, you know, issues and and things early doors, um, but yeah, I think I think I think we've uh, and and again this last half term, and we've got at least another two weeks of it. Obviously, haven't we? Starting next week, um, we have. I, I think I think we've, you know, we're pretty much there in terms of uh, pupil access, uh, staff, you know, being able to to facilitate it and use it properly and. We we as a as an SLT have set out you know the expectations that the things that we expect um, each year group to be doing which you know we've got a great a great team uh, you know our school we've got some great staff and it, and it has been more of a challenge for some uh, obviously as you would expect um, but you know I think on the whole you know we're 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 ticking along quite nicely. Do you know it makes such a difference, doesn't it, to have that strong team with a community spirit. It really does. I'm just going to read a couple of messages that are coming through. Aaron has said, I think creativity is doing well. It depends if you mean creativity like we have in the arts or creative thinking. Ah, yes. Yeah, perhaps a differential does need to be made there. I'm currently working in an HL, HPL school. Is that? I think that's high performance learning school. And our focus is on creativity. So that kind of covers um, both aspects. Thank you for that, Aaron. Um my experience of a number of schools, especially in um, impoverished areas at the moment in the UK, is that they're just trying to drive up standards uh, by focusing on core subjects and increasing the number of core subjects in certainly in secondary school. Um, and 
actually numbers in drama and the arts are dropping numbers electing to do languages are dropping schools um are cutting those subjects the government is cutting funding for those subjects you know btex are being slashed um so our experience is slightly different there aaron but i do have hope, hope if that is the case um tim has joined us good morning tim and he said we've dropped a gcse option and now use the time for electives. Ah, we were mentioning electives before. A chance to study something of interest or gain extracurricular qualifications such as the CVQO in independent schools. Again, I, th I think we, we can all learn things from each other, can't we? And I think even in the state system, we can learn the things, especially the emphasis on co-curricular activities and different things from the independent sector. Um, Simon, I want you to think, this, this is what we're talking about today, uh, this blue sky thinking, if you were. It's 2030, right? You've been asked to develop your ideal school and learning environments. So you can build the education system from scratch. What are your top priorities? <laughs> well, I think it links <laughs> for me personally, I, I, I believe, you know, our, a part of our as, as a Church of England school, we want to, you know, increase the uh, aspirations of pupils. And, and it, you know, like you've mentioned already about, you know, being creative and and sort of that, that blue sky thinking. Um, yeah, to, I'm trying not to get a Michael Jackson quote in like you did earlier. Um, I think. <laughs> there he is. I, I nearly I forgot about the sound effects again. Tom would be on my back, so there you go. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's really important, and something that I try to do is is just just get the the, the children to to make a difference. You know, to to do something that is going to to change the world that they that they're going to grow up in. Mm. Um, we do we do so much. Um, you know, obviously as a primary school through our curriculum that we have, um, for example, in year six, uh, I teach a great book, which is called Can We Save the Tiger by Martin Jenkins. And it, it just highlights, you know, the fact that there are some species of animals on the on the planet at the moment that aren't going to be around, you know, within our lifetime or within the lifetime of the, the children that we've got in, in primary school. Um, and then we've we've another uh, book that we use in year five called the paper bag prints by Colin Thompson and um, it just it, it's trying to get the the children to to think in a way that I don't mean we're going to have thirty five Greta Thunbergs leaving year six every year but yeah. um, it's that sort of the, the, the oh, I don't know what the word is that the, the we want them to to make a difference. Basically, regardless of, you know, their backgrounds, we've got some, uh, you know, very well off families in our school. We've got some families that really struggle. Um, but in the same light, then, you know, every everybody uh, equally can or should have the uh, ability to make a difference at some point. Um, and so, you know, it just it's that aspirations that you mentioned earlier, uh, trying to embed the fact that they can achieve and, and they, they can succeed and they should have high, high hopes and, and high ambitions for themselves personally. So I think my like, like I said, whether it's 2030 or whether it's 2050 or whatever it is, you know, we're not going to be able to rebuild the education system from scratch. Um, and 
I, I just think, you know, it, it's about instilling that belief in, in children. Yeah, and sometimes they may not get it from home. So we've got to be the ones, haven't we, who help Absolutely. instill that belief in them. Um, Tom has just said, uh, quite rightly, if you're listening to the app, do share the show by clicking the share button uh, on the bottom left-hand side. Also, if you want to call in, join the debate. Join me and Simon right now. Um, or join us after the news. Uh, click on the sofa symbol, and I will attempt to bring you into the chat. Um, right, so... We've talked about assessments as well, Simon. Do you think that um, we get assessment right in primary school then? Um, I think we get it right in terms of what we're told to do. Uh, whether that is right or not, obviously, is a, is a whole <laughs> new conversation to have. Um, you know, we, again, as a primary school, we, we do put a lot of emphasis on, um, you know, the creative side, the extracurricular activities and things like that. Um, but at the end of the day, you are, as a school, judged by your results. So it's it's a balancing act, really. You know, you have to perform uh, results-wise, uh, um, progress and, and achie um, achievement results, obviously, are, are published, and that's what you're judged on. Uh, but it also, equally, you know, when, when those lovely people from Ofsted do pop in to say hello now and again, they do take into account the other things that you do as a school. And so it, it, I think personally, from, from my perspective, I think we, we get it right just about. Um, it's yeah. not all about results, but it is all about results. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's also about everything else that, that goes around that. You know, it's, it's like I say, it's a balancing act and it's, you know, hard hard to, to judge whether you think it, we get it right or not. Um, yeah. But I think certainly, you know, we're, we're told what we need to assess and when we need to assess. And in that respect, I think, yeah, we probably do get it right. Brilliant. If anybody, and I'm sure some of your colleagues are joining you, uh, maybe some other teaching friends, let, let us know what you think about Simon and his views <laughs> um, at the moment. And let's give him some support because I think he's making some brilliant views here. Um, I so, think there's quite a few of the St Mary's staff who are listening, Matt. I've seen some oh, join really? in. Oh, so good. I'm, I'm oh, expecting good the comments to come flowing, to come flowing Flooding in. Flooding through. And we're getting more and more listeners live here on Podbean Live uh, on Teachers Talk Radio, which is brilliant. Um, we've been talking about, and you mentioned it as well, about students' aspirations. Um, so are there any specific examples of how you personally um, or your school encourage the students to be more aspirational? Um, I think, yes, we, we, we did um, a couple of years ago, and pre-lockdown we were hoping to do another one. We did a, 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 what you would call an Aspirations Week, uh, where mm. we had people from all walks of life come into school and talk to um, classes uh, we had. Uh, doctors, nurses, we had cabin crew, we had uh, a marine biologist, we had police um, who came into school and, and sort of did workshops. Um, you know, we had a timetable for each day uh, as who was coming in. Um, and just to sort of expose them to, uh, you know, a day in the life of, if you like. Um, uh, we also we also had a celebrity that, that popped in as well. Um, Okay. Mm. Who? You've got to tell us uh, now. Uh, you can't leave us hanging on that cliff. Was, uh, <laughs> no, I'm not going to tell you, Matt. No, it was you. You'll love this. It was a member of Girls Aloud. It was Nicola Roberts. Um, 
You're joking. Was she not in disguise? Didn't she win the Masked Singer? This, she did win the Masked Singer. This was in the days before she was Queen Bee. Um, oh, I hope she's not but listening. Yeah, we... but I, I can't stand that <laughs> programme. Honestly, I can't get into it. I know the fact that oh, Tom... Matt, you're missing I out. Mean, you're missing out. I mean, you, you know me a little bit, Simon, as well, and Tom knows me. In a way, yes, you should be surprised that I know, but you shouldn't be surprised that I know, because I have. Um, <laughs> um, I have... A bit of a weird memory about things. Um, yet, yeah, again, I can't tell you what I did yesterday, but things like football <laughs> commentaries from the, you know, FA Cup finals or FA Cup semi-finals in the 1990s. In fact, Tom does know that because I recorded one for him the other day. Right, we're going to get off that particular <laughs> thing. But anyway, Nicola, Nicola Roberts came in then, unmasked. Yeah, so it was, it, it was unmasked. Yeah, she was unmasked. Um, but it was just about trying to, you know, give the exposure to the, the various walks of life that some of these children may or may not end up, uh, you know, doing. Um, and like I said, we, we, we wanted to have another one, but obviously COVID has, has put paid to that at the moment. Uh, yeah. So I'm sure it's something we will do in the future. But it's just about, again, just putting in, putting the thought into these these children's minds that, at some point, they're going to have to do something, aren't they? They're going to have yeah. to, you know, they should want to aspire to to succeed and to achieve and, and what, at whatever level or whatever profession, profession that is. Um, yeah. We just try, you know, to, to give them as, as much of that experience as we can. Do you know what, Simon? Last time we met, we were still young men. I can't believe I'm saying this. Um, but... Well, I don't know about you. I don't know whether I feel young or not, but teachers <laughs> who are new to the profession or those who are thinking about training, they, they're just in such a different world now, aren't they, um, within teaching? And mm. it's it's just so different in the last year. So teachers who are training at the moment, it's it's very, very different. For them. So what skills do you specifically look for? What advice can you give to those teachers new into the profession that you look for um, to be successful in your school? Uh, well, if, if it's you know for our for our school, it's all about sharing our vision. Um, you know, they they should want to buy into the to the you know we're, we're again we're a church school, so they should want to buy into the things that come with that. Our values, um, our vision is to inspire and grow compassionate community of excellence. That, that's that's specific to our school, but I think in general, if if you're coming into the profession now, you need well. IT skills, um, yeah. which will be a bonus at the moment with all the remote learning that's going on. Um, but you should you should want to be wanting wanting to to make that to, to change. Sorry, to want those children to make that change. You want them to be compassionate. You want them to be kind, and you want them to love and and respect it, one another. Um, but I do think it's quite important. Oh, there we go. Thank you very much. So I've just got to give you a clap there because everything that you're saying is is completely true. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, yes, you would look for specific skills in different teachers, depending on whatever uh, post you were you were trying to recruit for, obviously. But um, I think you, you have to you have to have that inbuilt sense of I want to um, I want to improve somebody's life or I want to make that difference. Yeah, sorry, I've just got... Um... You're trying to look for another sound effect now, aren't you? No, I'm not. I've just got issues <laughs> in the eye. 
I tape my plan to the wall and it's just fallen off. Um, <laughs> and I can't see what I'm supposed to be doing. I know it's the news next, but there you go. Um, but I was listening, Simon, I promise. I'm just going to go over a couple more <laughs> messages. Um, Chris, Chris is a brilliant serial texter which is great. And, you know, other people who are joining the show, please text in, join the debate. There's lots of you out there listening today. And Chris has said, with regards to aspirations, I don't think we should remove the parents from the responsibility. If students lack aspiration, why does society should bear some responsibility, not just schools? And again, you just can't argue with the point that Chris makes there. He's very rational and logical in what he says. But... Do parents in all areas take responsibility? Have we got to involve them in some other aspects? Something, again, that I'll be talking about if I get time a little bit later. Um, any last thoughts on that, Simon? I think it's hard. Um, I agree. Yes, the parent, as a parent myself, you, you, you want your child to want to be their best and you want them to achieve and succeed and you support them in any way you can. But, you know, from our point of view... It's not, it's not always like that. It, it, it's very hard, you know, as a school to try and inspire and, and raise these children's hopes if they're not getting it at home. You know, it's got to come, it's got to work both ways. Um, and unfortunately, you know, like, like we say, it, it doesn't always happen in every household. We know there are some children that, you know, go leave, leave school at three o'clock and go home to, to well, a, a range of different different uh, circumstances which you know is very sad and and we as a school we we do everything we can to support um those those families but the parents at the end of the day not all of their parents are wanting their children to be the best yeah yeah definitely and listen it's been so good to catch up with you i'm looking forward to seeing you um after lockdown in fact i think you've got a message here simon morning simon our tech warrior Yes, <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> we'll wish I was a tech warrior. I'll tell you what. Um, we'd right. Is this Jenny? Who's is this Jenny Reese? That's Jenny. Tom. Yes, that's her. Right, she works, Jenny she works said, we'd, school. Oh, brilliant. We'd honestly be lost without it. Oh, this is brilliant to hear. I, I knew people would say this about you, Simon. The children love him, <laughs> and he does a wonderful job. And P.S. The massing is brilliant. No, <laughs> she's right. Jenny... Listen, listen to Jenny. What about you doing a wonderful job? About the mass singer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, thanks so much for Jenny uh, for tuning in and messaging. And Jenny, please listen in every week. We won't unfortunately have the privilege of having Simon as a guest every week, but you will be assured of some great pedagogical dialogue, some debates. Uh, maybe other people phoning in and a few bottles of laugh along the way. Um, Leanne has said, I don't think you go into teaching for the money. Put it that way. <laughs> I agree. It's to make a difference, but it's hard to prepare student teachers for the roller coaster life. That is the life of a teacher. Leanne, carry on listening. You're a great texter in as well. We're going to be talking to an aspiring teacher, somebody actually who is already teaching, um, but who's about to do her qualifications um, later on after the news and after the educationalist of the week. Um, Simon, it's been our pleasure to have you on. A few cheers for you there. Thank you so much for coming on. 
No problem, Matt. Thanks very much for having me. Listen, mate, I'm looking forward to seeing you um, hopefully in a few weeks, if not in a few months. We're going to have a big, a big reunion, aren't we? Definitely. I think we need to get something arranged as soon as we can. Yeah, people are really thanking you. Tom Rogers has said thanks, Simon. Um, our resident news reader, um, Tom Hopkinsberg, said thanks, Simon. A pleasure to listen to you. And I will echo that. It has been a pleasure to listen to you. Right. Enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy your last couple of days of freedom before school again on Monday. Take care, Simon. Will do. Cheers, Matt. Thanks. Good to speak to you. Bye bye. That was Simon Owen. Thank you so much for joining us, Simon. And now we're going to have the weekend news with our newsreader, Tom Hopkinsberg. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Tom Hopkinsberg. This is your weekend education news with Tom Hopkinsberg. A survey of more than 1,000 parents has found that children with special educational needs have been pushed to one side since September. The poll was conducted by Special Needs Jungle and reported on by The Guardian. It found that almost two-thirds of children with education, health and care plans, legally binding documents giving children additional support in schools, had not received their full additional provision. Some parents stated that risk assessments carried out before children returned to school were used to bar some children with SEND from returning to school. In her outgoing speech as Children's Commissioner, Anne Longfield said that some children with SEND have fallen out of sight during the lockdown and that they should be able to return to schools as quickly as possible. The government has announced that looked-after children under 16 will no longer be placed in unregulated accommodation. The government will also support local authorities in creating more places in children's homes and will give Ofsted additional powers to take enforcement action against unregistered children's homes. Research by the Children's Commissioner Anne Longfield found that one in eight looked-after children spent some time in an unregulated placement between 2018 and 2019. In response to the government, Longfield said that the government needed to include all under-18s in its ban on unregulated provision, and that too many 17- and 18-year-olds were living in unsuitable accommodation including hostels and caravan parks. First Minister of Wales Mark Drakeford says he hopes that primary school children over the age of eight will be able to return to the classroom from the 15th of March. Children aged between three and seven will return to school on Monday the 22nd of February, and some vocational students will return to further education colleges on the same day. Drakeford has also stated his desire to see secondary school and college students in exam classes back in face-to-face -face learning by the 15th of March. That's your weekend education news with Tom Hopkinsberg. Thank you, Tom. And Tom does a magnificent job with the news bulletins, which are updated every couple of days. Um, I just want to plug um, a couple of live shows that are coming um, up on Teachers Talk Radio. We have our late show with Khalil tonight at 8pm, and it's Khalil's debut show. Best of luck to Khalil. I'll be tuning in for sure. And then we have got some more shows tomorrow. We have our Sunday brunch show with Graham. That is at 11. We've got the late show with Mike at 8pm. Um, and then we begin our new week again with Mal. Um for the Monday morning breakfast show and always a great listen 
And then Emily's debut show um, in the evening on Monday on Teachers Talk Radio. And they are all live. Okay. Right, I think it's time for our regular feature on the Saturday Breakfast Show with me, Matt Williams. Thanks so much for all tuning in. And this is what we've got to come. We're going to talk about our educationalist of the week. Uh, we've got our second guest um, coming in very, very shortly. Um, and then we're going to sum up today. Carry on texting your views. If you're on the Podbean app, you can message in uh, by inputting your message into the box. Uh, you can call in if you're on the Podbean app. Um, you can also text in if you are on the um, desktop. So now for our regular feature. It's Educationalist of the Week on the Saturday Breakfast Show with Matt Williams on Teachers Talk Radio. And our Educationalist of the Week this week is... It's Rudolf Steiner. Not to be mixed with the fantastic annual that with a bright red nose that uh, visits us every Christmas Eve. But this Rudolf is was an Austrian philosopher, social reformer. Um, and he said the need for imagination, a sense of truth and a feeling of responsibility. These are the three forces which are the very nerve of education. I love that phrase, the way that is expressed, the very nerve. You know, when something touches a nerve, I just think that's been expressed in such a wonderful way. Uh, born in 1861, he felt as a child as though he was surrounded by two worlds, really. Um, the spiritual world and the world of sense. And Steiner believed that education should develop a love of learning with moral and ethical capacities. In fact, I think I'm right in saying that that love of learning was discussed on the Kyle Graham show um, yesterday. I think a couple of people were talking about, you know, we need this love of learning. And that's how we increase aspirations, essentially. And also that resilience can be built through reliable, caring, stable relationships that we learn through example and school experiences. Again, similar to what we were discussing earlier on. So he was an advocate of experiential learning and, in fact, influenced Dewey. Um, who's all over the experiential learning debate, of course. Um, he founded his first school in Stuttgart in Germany in 1919 after a request from the owners of the Waldorf Astoria factory. So you may have heard of the Steiner schools, uh, but you may also have heard of the Waldorf schools, and they are uh, essentially the same schools. And Steiner believed in making, doing, creating, uh, producing, um, with learning based on what is relevant in life and appropriate to the student's stage of development. And it's not rocket science, this. It's not astrophysics at work. Um, he formed a child development theory and an education theory in three major stages, which I think we are very, very familiar with. I'm just going to put that on the floor as it just went onto my mic. <laughs> um, and those three stages are as follows. So number one is early childhood education. And hopefully we've got some 
early childhood educators out there texting with your thoughts on all of the things we're discussing today. Um, and this is where it's just practical. It's hands-on, uh, lots of activities, creative play. Um, the children grow their own, for example, vegetable gardens. They look after the chickens. They have, you know, chickens in a coop and care after them. They learn how to cook. They learn how to paint. They learn how to sew. And that's all in the childhood education um, development phase. And then we have the primary school phase where the idea here is to form strong social skills with their classmates. Usually they have the same teacher throughout primary school, not just for one year. Um, and they learn all subjects, but through a creative approach. So they express their views, their thoughts, their feelings in a very creative way. And then we get to high school. And this is where, by now, Steiner says that we should be ready to engage in complex, more conceptual um, debates, creative thinking. Um, students should develop uh, observational skills. They should be able to develop analytical skills. And they undertake a year-long individual project at this stage in secondary school, uh, which includes thesis writing and includes, I think this is really important because we've seen students get very, very nervous about doing oral presentations. In fact, as adults, I think we get nervous, don't we? Um, I'm shaking like mad here and I'm just speaking to my microphone. Um, and they have to do an oral presentation to a large public audience. And that's all prepared for in one year. Um, and indeed the the audience is, is a public one. So let us know what you think about our Educationalist of the Week, who this week was Rudolf Steiner. Okay, right, we've got our next guest coming in now, um, Chloe. Uh, now, Chloe actually works with me for her sins, and we're looking forward to having her in. So I think she's on the line. She is live. Let's welcome to the studio, please, Miss Chloe Waggett. Welcome, Chloe. Hello. How are you doing today? Hi, Matt. Good morning. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Like, I am delightful. <laughs> I've had such a good morning so far. Some some great interaction on the text. I'd like a bit more interaction on the texts, to be honest. Yes. Have you had a good half term, first of all, Chloe? Yes, I have. Thank you. It's been really busy, you know, with the old DIY and everything else. Um, yeah, you love your DIY. I mean, we've been talking I... about creativity. You love it, don't you? <laughs> I'm obsessed with it. I can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> right. Listen, I've been trying to avoid COVID as much as possible, but it is. But ah, now Tom is saying, hi, Chloe. Did I teach you? Did you did Mr. Rogers teach you, Chloe? Um, I don't think so, but I think I may have been in the sixth form maybe when he was in Prostatin, um, but I never did history there. You were you were there for one year. You were there for uh, one year. You were there at the same time and then you both left. Well, this, <laughs> this is very strange for me. Um, I, oh, sorry, I've offended you even before you've come on. I believe you like The Masked Singer Club. I am the biggest fan of The Masked Singer. Like I devote <laughs> my life to the investigation. Like <laughs> I spend so long Googling, trying to figure out who each person is. Um, I am, yeah, the biggest fan. So I'm a little bit upset <laughs> with you this morning, Matthew. <laughs> well, and this is so strange for me. I don't know, again, text us in your, um, 
experiences here, folks who are listening, but um, I have the pleasure of working with Chloe, but I also taught you, didn't I, for one year yeah. before I <laughs> flew the nest and, and went away. So it's, it's a really, really strange experience, but um, we get on brilliantly. Um, right. I'm going to come back to Aaron's message. In, oh, Tom Hopkins Burke. So on, on Newsreader has, has asked <laughs> Chloe, did, did you get Joss Stone? Did you get Joss Stone correct? Unfortunately, that was one of the only ones that I didn't get right. I had no clue, so I was just going for Sheridan Smith. I was being a bit of a sheep there. Um, but I did get Neo. That was my that was my prize this season. I was very happy to get that. <laughs> Wonderful. Right, well, it seems as though Tom is a big fan of um, the masked singer as well. <laughs> I'm going to come on to Aaron's ideas in a second. Aaron's sending some brilliant texts through today. Thanks for that, Aaron. Thanks for your contributions. Um, but Chloe, I've been trying to avoid COVID as much as I can today, but I've got to talk to you about COVID because I want you to tell our listeners how it has affected you professionally and personally, please. Um, well, let's just start with the personal side because we'll just get it over and done with. Um, yeah, so I had COVID Um just after Christmas time, um, I think it was like the 6th of January or something like that. Um, my partner had it first, um, so we started isolating. And then I think it was about six or seven days later, um, I just took a turn. And just one evening, I just got like the worst headache. I couldn't keep my eyes open. I just kept falling asleep. And I was like, oh my gosh, I just don't feel right. I've never felt like this before. Um, yeah, so then I went for a test the next morning and it came back positive. Um, and then I'd say it knocked me out for a good three, four weeks. Um, wow. Yeah, I was, I've never felt so poorly in my life, but it's hard to explain because um, I've never experienced anything like it. But it was like the flu, but like times 10. And then my body was aching, my chest was heavy. And I think the, the like the worst part for me was definitely like the headaches um and the tiredness the fatigue was awful yeah. like you know I'm such a like get up and go person and like I'm always energized um, and excited about something um, but I literally did nothing for weeks and like it was annoying me that I couldn't find the energy to do stuff um, well this is why I wanted to ask you because you know we do some see some nutty conspiracy theorists around um and you're one of the you know, most active people I know. You're a dance teacher. You're such a, you know, an energetic, bubbly, effervescent character. (laughs) (laughs) And and it's, um, I was just amazed to learn that you suffered so much from it. What what about professionally then, Chloe? Um, Yeah, so, well, at the time when COVID came around, it was about last March, really, when it really kicked in, wasn't it? Um, I was working in a school in Flint um, as like a DNT technician and cooking teacher um, on supply um, with an agency. Um, and yeah, and it, I, at first, obviously, I, did, I didn't think anything of it. I thought, oh, they're just being a bit dramatic on the news. And then it all kicked off and school shut down. And then obviously yeah. didn't do anything for months. And then during the summertime, um, our school, lovely school, rang me up um, and offered me a position coming in to school to teach dance and drama, which I was very happy to receive the call. Um, yeah, and then once we started school, 
for me, it was, I'm sure you know, it was so overwhelming um, because I wasn't just a new teacher. Um, I was a subject leader, obviously. I was the, I'm the only dance teacher. And there's yeah. so much to remember alongside the fact that I'm an unqualified teacher. Um, and then we had all the protocols and the rules on top for COVID, which at first was just like, I felt bombarded um, and trying to remember everything, what telling the pupils what to do. I, I was a bit terrified in the first few weeks I was going to get stuff wrong. Um, but then obviously we got used to it and we sort of adapted to it really quickly. And the children, I think, were like fair play to them. They did really well adapting to it as well. Um, but yeah, and then obviously learning from home happened. Um, <laughs> so yeah. as of December, for me, it's been a bit up and down because obviously, you know, as well with our subjects being quite practically based, um, mm. it's difficult. And I'm such like a, a hands-on teacher and I like to like join in all my classes and give like feedback as much as I can because dance is um, such an art and such a like, it's a very specific art form that you really like, you can't just wing it you've got to know what you're doing and know what you're talking about and know how to move your body and trying yeah. to like express that over a screen is proving a little bit difficult <laughs> but <laughs> but we are getting there and my students I feel like they are like getting on board with it and we are getting like on a roll with it now I'd you say. are well I know for a fact you're doing a tremendous job uh, Tom is just asking um He's, he's just saying that your COVID story is really interesting. You know, I, again, I don't think we've been talking enough about long COVID. And Tom's just asking, have you had any long-term um, lasting effects? Um, at first, I thought that I was going to be tired for the rest of my life. <laughs> mm. um, but at the minute, I, feel, I actually feel really good at the minute. So I can't see any signs of anything long-term um, it's going to take a while to build back up my like cardiovascular endurance, um, but I don't think I'll have a problem with that, jumping around the lounge all the time, <laughs> teaching on Zoom. <laughs> um, but yeah, I feel, I've, so far, I think, fingers crossed, I seem to be okay. No long-term okay. effects. Right, so we know a bit about your career at the moment. So talk us through, just briefly, your career so far then, from perhaps university onwards. Um, i just got a shout-out to... Uh, oh. Ella Davis there and uh, yourself Matthew because obviously you two I had three teachers um when I was in sixth form and you two were two of my main teachers and big thanks to you um for getting me where I ended up I think um definitely so um I'll give you that money later Chloe <laughs> thank you very much um, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so University, I left sixth form and I went to the big smoke, went to London. Um, I studied in two of um, the most established performing arts schools, I would say, um, Erdang Academy and Bird College. Um, that was an intense environment. Uh, I feel like if you've never experienced it, people just think we go there and we dance around all day and then we just, <laughs> it's all rainbows and and then you go home and it's fine. But no, it's a very intense environment. There's a lot to learn. Uh, it's very stressful, but I had like some of the best years of my life and I wouldn't change it for the world. It was amazing. Um, 
Yeah, I'm from there. So I studied musical theatre and dance um, and got my degree. And I had some really amazing opportunities while I was there. Um, got to perform at the Royal Albert Hall. I danced on X Factor. Oh, wow. Music videos, done a bit of Netflix acting. So I've really had some like amazing experiences, but I'm still open to like building that some more. Um, but like we always talk about... <laughs> Oh, this is going to sound mean, but like performers always talk about like they have a muggle job. Um, so that's like <laughs> your job. That is not your performing job. So people will be working in a bar or in a shop. Um, and I just sort of fell into teaching as mine. Um, so I was always teaching in dance schools. Um, I mean, when I was younger, when I was in high school, I feel a bit cheated now. Uh, but when I was in high school, the <laughs> PE teachers used to make me teach my year group. Um, <laughs> I don't know I must have been good when I was in, in high school I don't know but they used to make me teach my uh, year group like dance classes and stuff instead of doing PE lessons which is nice um but that's and, acted as great experience now when you think about yeah, it yeah and they gave me a five times 60 after school club um so I've always yeah. like taught and it's something that I've been doing my whole life I just didn't really realize that that was what I was doing um well, I tell you what, we, I mean, we are so lucky to have you entering the profession. I think you're a fantastic teacher already, by the way. Um, oh, thank you. But it's, it's, it, well, it's, it's quite unusual to have somebody as able, as agile, as dexterous as you, <laughs> who also becomes a teacher so early on in your career. Um, so, you know, I work with you. I'm lucky to know that you're a brilliant teacher already and you're hoping to embark on your teacher training now, aren't you, in the near future? So just a couple of thoughts, really. What excites you about teaching and perhaps what worries you about teaching? And if anybody's got any advice for Chloe, um, then, you know, please, please text in. But I found as well that you've given me <laughs> advice already this year. So by the way, it's a very really? much a two-way thing. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I thought I told you that enough. Yeah, we advise each other, don't we? Um, yeah, we do. <laughs> so what what excites you and what worries you? Um, I think definitely the most exciting part for me is not to sound like condescending because I'm still really young, um, but like shaping young people and just helping them find themselves and work towards pushing themselves to be the best version that they can be. Um, that's what like I find when I think back of throughout my day, like how how's it gone? What have I done today? That when I have moments that like can reassure me um, that I am helping young people to achieve things, that's what, I don't know, brings me joy, I guess. Um, I don't want to ever walk into a classroom and just say, this is what you need to do. And then the students complete the tasks and then they go home and then they come back and they've forgotten everything. Um, I want to like, yeah. I'm excited about like creating an experience for students where they can really like learn and discover things about themselves and really like find a passion for the subjects that I'm teaching. Um, that would, that's what mainly excites me is like giving people the excitement that I get from my subjects and sharing it with them, I guess. Oh, and that definitely comes across. Now, actually, we haven't got time for this question. Tom has just asked Chloe, what is it like working with Matt? <laughs> so we, we... And on. <laughs> no, please don't. <laughs> please don't. <laughs> it's like Susan Boyle rather... times 10. 
<laughs> we said we weren't going to mention Susan Boyle. Sorry, Susan, <laughs> I had to get her in. <laughs> there is a story to that. Um, anyway, <laughs> we, we've been talking. So, so, you're getting a lot of love, by the way. You're getting lots and oh, lots of love here. I love um, the love. <laughs> we've, we've and you've mentioned it yourself actually about students' aspirations. We, we we've been talking a lot about that today. What skills do you think students need to be equipped with to um, aspire? And what um, I guess any skills that teachers need to help students aspire. What are your thoughts on those? I things? think I would from my short time in teaching so far, I would definitely agree there is a lack of aspiration and motivation. Um, and I wouldn't want to put like everybody in the same category because I know that used to annoy me when I was younger and everyone would like put all young people, they're rude and they're insensitive and they're not nice. Um, I would never do that because you do get obviously the the students that are really motivated. Um, but I think yeah. ambition and goals are something that might slip away as you get older so to see it missing already in younger people is what's really worrying um so i think adding an excelment of like uh, an excitement to learning and when they can think about their future and feel excited um because it is daunting when you're young and then you go to school every day for all those years and then you're released out into the world and you've got to like figure the rest out so i think building up a like a, a view of the future um, where they can see like exciting opportunities um, and we can promote how important the skills that we are developing in them, um, how important they are um, and make them like understand that they can like believe in us, that we are going to prepare them the best way we can. So things yeah. like, um, I don't know, maybe giving them more opportunities, like we were talking about before, I agree with everything that everyone has said today, basically. Um, things like giving them more experiences, um, letting them hear more from professionals. I think that was really interesting what Simon said before um, about getting, um, obviously, love Nicola Roberts, and um, getting professionals in to speak to the students, um, talking to them about jobs, um, not just ones that they can visibly see around them, like your public services and retail, et cetera, but things that like you, I feel like there's so many jobs in the world that you never hear about, um, which might bring like a passion or light a fire in like some yep. of the students' minds that they don't know about. So I feel like giving them as much insight to the world as we can would be something that might bring out like a more excitable feeling for them I don't know um well Chloe I think our students are in great hands because you're certainly <laughs> inspiring me honestly uh, you don't have to answer Rogers's <laughs> question Chloe what is it like working with Matt oh no sorry he's he's repeated it what's it like working with Matt does he do his silly voices with you at random Tom I don't know what you mean <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. Also, a, a very big shout out to Lynn and Jeff. They are Come regular on, listeners. Lynn and Jeff. Yes, Lynn and Jeff are regular listeners in, here it. in my hometown. In fact, I know them very well. <laughs> they are my parents. <laughs> so good morning to good morning to mum and dad. Um, oh. What was I just going to? I've got slightly sidetracked there. Um, As I'll just move on. <laughs> yes, <laughs> nothing new there. Um, <laughs> we. As you can probably tell, Chloe and I, well, I just think this is important in a staff room. Not that we can really meet in staff rooms very much anymore. <laughs> but, um, but obviously we look working 
with a two meter distance, of course, but in close proximity with each other. And this camaraderie, this feeling of community, it, it really is important, isn't it? But I want you to think, Chloe, it's your dream school of 2030. You've got a blank canvas. What would your school look like? What would your priorities be? Go. Okay, so I'm looking at secondary school here, and it's kind of um, a mixture of everything that you've discussed today already, basically. Um, so focusing on vocational skills, finding skills the students can be passionate about, um, making it eco-friendly, giving students responsibilities, and like sort of creating well-rounded and educated young people who can have like an open view um, and an open mind um, and like, just be kind, basically. So I feel like carrying on with the vocational side of things, um, like you said before, it's so important to keep the key academic subjects, um, but focusing less on assessment and more about building practical skills and life skills. So yeah. I've thought about the fact I've got like no limit on money here. <laughs> um, so I oh. think for like key stage four, I'd love to like provide young people with more of a college style setting um, where there's like facilities where they can approach lots of different um, like job opportunities and they can look at, you know, hands on, try engineering, try mechanics um, give young performers more opportunities um, to like, who knows like an in-school radio station um yes newspaper um being able to like i don't know have a tv show like just obviously yeah. this is all money based um, and we'd never really probably have the budget for that um well but, but to be honest we have got the budget for it chloe because covid came along and we had to find the resources from somewhere um perhaps there are these things that we could do sorry i've cut you off in your prime no 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 go for it lad Oh, sorry, I just lied to you. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, no, that's what I think. And like, I would love to just let them find something that they can be really passionate about. You hear so many people saying, well, I don't use anything that I learned in school or um, saying, I've got no idea what I want to do when I'm older. So giving them an opportunity to like actually develop a, a skill that they might take forward with them into a career. Um is really important. I've had one idea which I really like, which is like a challenge week um, wow. that you have like once a term where for the whole week they get an experience where they can choose something that they want to train in um, and learn more about and they focus on that for a week and then obviously next time they could say, oh, well, I didn't like the, the subject I chose last time. So let's move on to something different. Um, so giving them opportunities to really explore what they can be passionate about, I think is important. After you've hung up, Chloe, carry on listening because I may refer to a couple of those things in oh, my summary. Excellent. Um, Gav, agreeing with you, I think, here as well. Uh, great show again, Matt. Thank you to Gav, who was our very first guest, actually, on the Matt Williams Saturday Breakfast Show. Getting guest speakers in from industry to talk to students is a great idea. Making the most of enthusiastic parents willing to come in would be helpful. Um, again, we're touching on very similar themes here, aren't we, throughout the show? So thank you very much to Gav there. Tracy has said she, to she totally agrees with you, Chloe. Uh, windows into the world Lovely. of work are sadly lacking. Yes. Um, and, yeah, I, I, if, if you agree or if you disagree with what we've been saying this morning, please text in. We need to have as much debate 
um, about this <laughs> as possible. I think Tom is still trolling us. Uh, <laughs> on, Ella has lad. said, <laughs> oh, he will love that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Ideas like yours will be crucial to how we build a new curriculum in Wales, Chloe. Yeah, very true. And, and we've actually got some curriculum developments coming in next year, actually, with the Donaldson um, changes. And I think Ella is right. And let's be mm -hmm. bolder. Let's be braver. Let's be yeah. even more dynamic. Um, so thank you for that. I think, um, right, oh, I've got one last question for you, Chloe. Here we go. And that is <laughs> this. You are a performer. If you could put on a school show right now, because we haven't been able to do that through 2020, uh, probably 2021, uh, what school show would you do? Right. Well, to be honest, I think you already know the answer to this question. You definitely know what I'm going to say. Um, the Masked was... Singer, the musical. <laughs> At first, I was thinking, you know, I'd love to do like a medley. Um, well, look, because I just love musicals so much, looking at all different musicals over the years. But I would have to go with, for the sake of trying to boost musical theatre and performing within um, young society, Hamilton. It's got to be, because I think it's so up to date and it's so like relevant and current that people would jump on it and they would love it. So, yeah, Hamilton. But yeah. You know, I going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and... It was I mean, I do ask you to dream big, but unfortunately, the rights for Hamilton are just not oh, going to be yeah, available um, for decades, are they? But yeah, no, no, that, that was in is, our dream this, world. This is my dream world still. I live there now. <laughs> there we go. Thank you. <laughs> Chloe, thank you so, so much for coming on. We really oh, appreciate it. I, I do think our students are in good hands. Um, you know, you haven't even started your teacher training yet, yet you're so capable and i can't wait yeah. to get back into school to carry yes. on working with you Me and too. see our students develop um yeah. so thank you very much ladies thank and gentlemen you. chloe waggett thank thanks for coming so on chloe much for having me there we go thank you so much to chloe for coming in um i still i promise aaron i'm going to come back to your comment in a second but we're just going to have our weekend news with tom hopkins burke this is teachers talk radio and this is teachers talk radio news with tom hopkins burke this is your weekend education news with tom hopkins burke a survey of more than 1,000 parents has found that children with special educational needs have been pushed to one side since September. The poll was conducted by Special Needs Jungle and reported on by The Guardian. It found that almost two-thirds of children with education, health and care plans, legally binding documents giving children additional support in schools, had not received their full additional provision. Some parents stated that risk assessments carried out before children returned to school were used to bar some children with SEND from returning to school. In her outgoing speech as Children's Commissioner, Anne Longfield said that some children with SEND have fallen out of sight during the lockdown and that they should be able to return to schools as quickly as possible. The government has announced that looked-after children under 16 will no longer be placed in unregulated accommodation. 
The government will also support local authorities in creating more places in children's homes and will give Ofsted additional powers to take enforcement action against unregistered children's homes. Research by the Children's Commissioner Anne Longfield found that one in eight looked after children spent some time in an unregulated placement between 2018 and 2019. In response to the government, Longfield said that the government needed to include all under-18s in its ban on unregulated provision and that too many 17- and 18-year-olds were living in unsuitable accommodation, including hostels and caravan parks. First Minister of Wales Mark Drakeford says he hopes that primary school children over the age of 8 will be able to return to the classroom from the 15th of March. Children aged between 3 and 7 will return to school on Monday the 22nd of February and some vocational students will return to further education colleges on the same day. Drakeford has also stated his desire to see secondary school and college students in exam classes back in face-to-face learning by the 15th of March. That's your weekend education news with Tom Hopkinsberg. Thank you very much, Tom. And we've just got a few minutes left to discuss some of the points that we've been talking about today. We had our educationalist of the week before. Haven't been getting an enormous amount of feedback about our educationalist of the week um, so far. We had Nell Noddings in the first week, Charlotte Mason last week, and Rudolf Steiner this week. But Aaron has texted in. And thank you again, Aaron, for texting this in. Aaron says, I love the Steiner idea. It sounds like great preparation for plenty of future careers and also sounds like some music exams in terms of performance and Aviva Voce. A public presentation does sound daunting. It does, doesn't it? But don't we have to present um, in adult life? So we really do need to prepare our children for that. Maybe start with a class or year group first, um, laughing emoji, but love the one-year project thesis, etc. Right, great views there, Aaron. Thank you very much for that. Um, we've got lots of round of applauses there. I think that's for um, Chloe. Um, again, big thanks to both of my guests today, uh, to Simon Owen and to Chloe um, Waggett. Carry on texting in. I'm just going to give you a few of my thoughts on the way education needs to look, in my opinion, in the future and just hook on some key themes that we've been discussing today. Uh, We still have time for some of your views. Um, Ah, yes. (laughs) For those I haven't explained too much about my personal life, I think I mentioned that I was a bit of a football obsessive before. Um, Derby predictions. Tom is certain that Liverpool will win today. Um, They usually beat Everton. Um, certainly Anfield. Um, I'm, go- I'm going to go with 2-1, Tom. Liverpool 2, Everton 1. I was a big fan of James Alexander Gordon, if anybody knows of him. Uh, but we're here to talk about education, Tom. And very unlike you to be fatalistic when it comes to Everton, by the way. In fact, Tom and I do have a bit of footballing history in terms of football playing. We will go into that on a separate occasion. Let's put it this way. It involves a broken arm. Um, Chloe says, thanks for having her, uh, for the lovely support. Well, thank you, Chloe. Um, Yeah, people giving Chloe a lot of love, um, just as we gave Simon a lot of love earlier on. Um, Our Scots George is agreeing with me. Liverpool 2, Everton 1. Do you know what, Tom? I'm going to... I'm going to leave it on a cliffhanger. I'm going to tell them the next week. 
about the day that you broke my arm. But for now, I want to sum up with, well, it wasn't funny at the time, I can assure you. I want to, I want to sum up with what my vision is um, about all of the things that we've been discussing and, and moving forward. And I must associate this core belief is that when I go through all of my points, I don't mean to diminish the core subjects. I really believe in academic rigor, but I do also believe that there is another foundation or a better foundation that we can lay. I think inquiry-based learning deserves a lot of merit. A more flexible curriculum. I think we're so structured in the way we conduct our curricula. So let's give students more responsibility, not less, for their learning. Let's develop that curiosity. Let's investigate, create, discuss, reflect, discover, and of course, collaborate. Increased personalization. Of course, we would need to reduce class sizes to do this. The class sizes, again, that we have now are gargantuan in many, many schools. We've had different labels, haven't we, uh, throughout the years? SEM, ALM, G&T, MAT, not me, more able and talented, the forgotten middle. But <laughs> despite all these labels, I understand the intentions and they are very, very, very important. Uh, Inquiry-based learning worked for Bill and Ted. Yes, absolutely, Tracy. Um, but we should, of course, be tailoring education for all. But we do need more resources and more time. So let's, let's build that in. We need more co-curricular, extracurricular activities. Maybe run by teachers, maybe run by outside agencies. And the reason I say maybe run by teachers is because if we reduce the stringent curricula that we are under, wouldn't we as practitioners enjoy exploring our passions a little bit more? Enjoyment. We need to inject that enjoyment back into education. So not just the sports clubs, the drama clubs, the music clubs, but similar to what Chloe was mentioning before, really, things like weeks specifically for certain events and things like house days and international days. Competitions throughout the week. But of course, again, I come back to time that needs to be given to plan them. And how can we embed then such models within the curriculum? So we're improving things a couple of fold. Some people agreeing with these things. If you disagree, please let me know. I love to be challenged. Positive relationships. I go back to this all the time. Relationships for learning, as I call it. Make learning more relevant to the real world. So exam boards, especially after or during COVID and post-COVID, what an opportunity for our exam boards and Ofqual to completely redesign the syllabi. You've probably heard of P4C, philosophy for children. And let's bring parents on board more. I understand there are parents who maybe won't support come you know, whatever, 
but it doesn't mean we shouldn't try. Let's have more coffee mornings. Let's have more seminars. A couple of comments already on this. Successful schools have drama, music, sports running through their veins. And that comes from a head of English. Thank you, Ella. Uh, Jody said, education needs to mirror wider society whereby organisations function and require multidisciplinary, transdisciplinary approaches. Absolutely. And hopefully, uh, Jody, some of my points um, are some solutions to achieving that sort of society. This is a recurrent theme in my shows, leadership. We need decisive clear philosophical purpose to our leadership we need to lead by example in society we need better role models do we not some of you may be fans of boris johnson and think he is befitting of leading our country but i say we can do better than him i say the way that the brexit debate for example was conducted was a travesty where is the moral leadership? Where is the moral compass? Education is a dominant feature of a child's life. It dictates their future, making teachers custodians of children. The challenge of providing this stimul stimulating education that I'm talking about couldn't be more imperative. Teaching and learning can really only fundamentally change when traditional school systems are reformed completely. We don't need to get rid of them, but we need to reform them. Education is about learning and enrichment, is it not? It's about opportunity and challenge. And the theme for today's show, it's about hope and aspiration. Decision makers must be responsible with this power because they can determine the hopes and fears. But as educators, teachers, we can be our own agents of change, if we can philosophically engage with our own identity, if we are prepared to take risks, and if we truly value the relationships we can forge with the young people we so influence. Lots of agreement in the text messages, um, and especially with what Jody was just saying there, Gibbo. Um, and that's it, folks. We've run out of time, unfortunately. I've written this 90 minutes have flown by. Thank you so much for joining me today. We're going to have more chat, more laughter, hopefully, um, more exciting debates uh, next week. Um, thanks for listening. Mal really enjoyed the show. Looking forward to yours on Monday. Thanks, Tracy. Uh, thanks, Tim. Thanks to everybody. Just a last plug for tonight's show with. Khalil, that's at 8 p.m., the late show. And then we've got um, a few shows coming up in the coming days. The Sunday Brunch with Graham tomorrow at 11. Then the late show with Mike all the way from the USA at 8 p.m. before Mal's show on Monday and then Emily's debut on Monday evening. Right. Take care, everybody. It's been great to hear you and your points of view today. And I really look forward to speaking to you live from Penryn's side next week week. Live from the North Wales coast, this is the Saturday Breakfast Show with Matt Williams on Teachers Talk Radio.